Well, I want to welcome y'all to church this morning. I'm so glad to be here with y'all. This morning, some of y'all may be wondering why we are still doing Christmas, Christmas music. But as we come into the end of the Christmas season and the beginning of the new year, we can worship the journey of Christ from the manger to the cross. We see the mercy in the manger, how he came as a humble king or as a humble baby. He didn't come as a conquering king. And we see how he fulfilled his justice on the cross, giving us a new hope and a new life. This morning, the songs we sing are meant to remind us about God's mercy in the manger and his fulfillment of justice on the cross as we anxiously wait for the day when he will come again.
together.
Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning with thankful hearts, thankful of your mercy and your love and your fulfillment of justice. God, thank you for the cross and how you came and died to give us new life and to give us hope. God, I pray you'd open our eyes this morning to see the truth. It's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen. It's 2021. Am I right? Come on, y'all. We got to be excited about that. What do they say? Bring it on, 21. That's, I invented that. So every time you see that on the internet, you just give me a little royalty. Not really. Hey, what about that band praising the Lord with their gifts? That's incredible. I mean, we've got 11, I think I counted right. We've got 11 young people who have grown up in this church and are doing, using their gifts to glorify the Lord and making an impact for the kingdom. And so I'm just so thankful for that. And I know there's so many of you doing it in so many different ways, but this is our opportunity to just say, we love what, when you do that, students. And so, uh, and really making a kingdom impact, that's what it's all about. That's what the Lord has really impressed upon my heart that for 2021, I'm praying and I'm striving to say, Lord, Allow me to make the greatest impact I possibly can for the kingdom this year. And I want to challenge you to do that as well. I want to challenge you to wake up each morning and, and ask the Lord to enable you, to equip you, to, to make a kingdom impact this year. Uh, that's really what discipleship is all about. That's what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow the Lord each day. That's what Jake did a great job last week, our student minister, just going through that passage where Jesus is calling his disciples saying, hey, take up your cross, do what I'm about to do, which is to give my sacrifice, everything I have for the kingdom. And he calls us as his disciples to do the same, to, to make great sacrifice in order to make an impact on those around us with our resources, with our time, with our energy, with our, our gifts, with our money, with our influence, wherever we are, whatever we do, to, to have our aim to say, I want to make a kingdom impact on those around us. And that's what we see Jesus doing. Everywhere Jesus goes in the Gospels, we're seeing that he is giving those around him a taste of his kingdom. In his ultimate kingdom, when he returns, there will be no sickness. And so those who have an encounter with Jesus, they're healed. In his kingdom where there is no end when he returns... There will be no sin, there will be no demons, there will be no, no evil, no rebellion. And so what we see Jesus doing when he encounters someone who's possessed by demons, he rebukes the demons and they leave. Where he went, he brought love, he brought compassion, he brought mercy, he brought kindness, he brought grace. Because those are all attributes of his character that will fill the kingdom when his, when his kingdom is 
fully reigning on earth. And so we as his disciples are called to, to do the same. We're called, obviously not able to do it the way he did it, but we are called to do the same, to give people around us a taste of the kingdom. And that's what we see his disciples doing. But what we also see as Luke unfolds his story, we see these disciples made a decisive decision to follow Jesus. They left everything, they left their fishing nets behind, and they decided to follow Jesus. And when he called them, they, they said, we will, we follow and we'll become fishers of men. But then we see uh, through the stories that Luke records for us that they are on a maturing journey. They are, they are maturing, they are growing. And, and as they begin to understand who Jesus really is, their willingness to sacrifice goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And really those two go hand in hand. The, the, the call to sacrifice, the call to deny self, the call to take up the cross hinges on knowing who Jesus really is. To the extent that you know Jesus, you will sacrifice for Jesus. And that's what we see going on in the disciples' lives. They are learning about his authority, his power, his amazing uh, authority and power. They're learning about his teachings. And, and when they, they grasp that, they enter into a new level of maturity in their depth of their relationship with Jesus. And it empowers them that ultimately these are the ones that the whole Christian movement, the whole message is going to be carried out because they are willing to sacrifice in order to expand and make a kingdom impact. And so knowing Jesus is central. In fact, that's the central question of the Gospel of Luke. Who is Jesus? When you read through Jesus, you see in Luke chapter 2, he's described as the angels announce who he is. He's the Son of God. He's been born, and that's what we celebrated Christmas about. But then the book is riddled with questions and discussion and, and debate about who is Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 22, the question is asked, is this not Joseph's son? How could he be the son of God? How could he be the Messiah? He's saying he fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. Isn't he just Joseph's son? In 436, when he rebuked the demons, the people said, what is this word? What is this powerful word that he has? Who is this one who speaks with such power? In 521, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite, ask, who is this who speaks blasphemies? So many contradictory thoughts. In chapter 7, verse 16, the people proclaim, Oh, a great prophet has risen among us. In chapter 7, 19, even John the Baptist asked, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? In 739, a man says to himself, well, If this man was a prophet, he would have known these things. So everybody's questioning. Everyone's contemplating who is this. In 749, the people ask, well, who is this that even forgives sin? In 825, the disciples who had been caught in a storm with Jesus in the boat saw him calm the storm, said, who is this who commands even the winds and the water? Who is this? In 99, Herod and all his authority had been hearing the rumblings of what Jesus was saying and doing. And he asked, who is this? In 9.18, Jesus turns the question to the crowds. And he says, who do the crowds say I am? 
And then finally, he looks at Peter and he says in 920, who do you say I am? And you see, that's the question that you have to answer today. Who do you say Jesus is? You have to answer that question in your heart once and for all. The only way you will sacrifice and deny self and make yourself uncomfortable and to forego things for your own benefit in order to make a kingdom impact is if you have settled that question once and for all. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Father, I pray that you will open our eyes this morning, every single person here. That you will settle that question in our hearts. Maybe again. Maybe we thought we had it settled and yet as 2020 went on, the distractions of this world started to, to blur our vision of who you are. Or maybe for the very first time, you will open eyes this morning and you will radically explode someone's heart open to say, Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, show us who Jesus is in all his glory that we might make an impact for the kingdom this year. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at verses 28 through 35. In these verses, we see the Lord opens the eyes of his apostles, three key apostles, three apostles who are going to basically be the founding team of the worldwide church Christian movement. And at the foundation of that movement, he says, I'm going to show you the glory of God in Jesus. Look at verse 28. It says, Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to what? He went up on the mountain to do what? Pray. To pray. So let's stop there. What is Luke referring to when he says about eight days after these sayings? Well, you go back to the previous verses and you see what he is talking about. About eight days after these sayings that we looked at last week where Jesus was saying, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And then he spoke in verse 26 about his future when he would come in glory and then in verse 27, I tell you the truth, he says, there are some standing here who won't taste death until they see my glory, till they see the kingdom of God. And then eight days later, Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain with Jesus to pray. And so what Luke is doing for us, he's interpreting what's about to happen. He's setting the context for us to say that this crazy scene that is referred to as the transfiguration, this crazy scene is eight days after Jesus said, some of you, Peter, James, and John, aren't going to die before you see my glory, the glory of the kingdom of God. Now, if they grasped that, what do you think they would have done eight days later? They would have set that stinking alarm clock. Make sure they don't miss this encounter. So Luke is telling us that's what's happening here. That Peter, James, and John are about to behold the glory 
of the kingdom of God. But what's going on for them to see the glory of God? What does Jesus pull them away to do? Pray. He takes them out of the hustle and bustle and the demands of life with all the crushing demands of ministry. They've just walked away from their careers. They've got so many people to be healed. The crowds are pressing in. They don't have time for this, Jesus. Why are you doing this, Jesus? We've got to get away from the craziness and we've got to be quiet and we've got to pray. Prayer is the context of Jesus' apostles beholding his glory. This is so important for us to remember because it tells us if they needed to break away for prayer, to behold the glory of God, in order to go and make a kingdom impact, surely you and I need to do that. Surely I need to make it a priority to get away and to be in prayer and to sit with Jesus until I behold a glimpse of his glory. Friends, if you, if you think you're going to make an impact for the kingdom of God and you hadn't beheld the glory of God, you hadn't been in his presence you and I, we ain't, we ain't got a clue. Let's look at what happens in verse 29. As they were praying, specifically as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That just, that just blows my mind. My mind so quickly goes to the theology and the, the meaning of what all happens, but I have to force myself to stop and say, this really happened, y'all. Luke has told us at the beginning of his book, I have been a personal investigative journalist. I have researched these things. I have done eyewitness testimony. I have the best source material to validate that what I'm telling you happened really happened. And so Jesus and Peter and James and John really went up to a mountain and they were really praying. And as Jesus was praying, he started to be transfigured. The glory of God, it implies glory in that his face was altered and that his, his clothing became dazzling white. That implies glory, but it says also literally in verse 31 that it was his glory. Peter, James, and John are getting a firsthand eyewitness account of the actual glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not figuratively, literally. 
What would you have, would you have given anything to be there, to, to see the scene, to, to imagine how incredible this was is one thing, but to actually be there, to be able to be in the presence of Jesus and behold the glory of God in his face, in his clothes, in his being, and to see Moses and Elijah standing there talking to Jesus about what's about to happen in Jerusalem, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, back to the Father, oh, to just have eavesdropped on that conversation. That's what a quiet time is. That's what setting aside some time to sit with Jesus in his word and to pray, God, just just open my eyes to just get a taste, just a small taste of your glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the meaning of what he did by giving his life, his death on the cross and and that he rose from the grave. Oh, the glories of the heavens are in Jesus. And we don't set our alarm. We miss those encounters. But we want to make a kingdom impact. What does all this mean? What what is actually the meaning of Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the glory? Well, we learn about what something means in a text that we don't understand by reading the text and reading the what's mentioned there is this talked about anywhere else in scripture we don't go out to personal experience we don't go out to to on the internet of what people think transfiguration go to the bible and read it and he says moses who is moses well moses is the primary figure in the first five books of your bible moses in fact wrote the first five books of the bible We call that the law. The law is your first five books, the Pentateuch. That all refers to the same section of your Bible. It's the very core. It's the nucleus of your Bible. Moses. And the way that law ends is this longing for one like Moses, a prophet like Moses who will come, who is the serpent slayer who is the one who will be reconciling humanity to God himself and the Pentateuch the first five books the Deuteronomy ends saying and yet one like Moses has not come and then you have Elijah Elijah is in king primarily talked about in first and second kings the prophets our, our Elijah was a prophet who called to Israel and said, repent of your sin, return back to God, get right with God, quit running away from God, turn back to God and enjoy reconciliation. But the point we see over and over of the prophets is they did not listen because their hearts were stubborn and hardened. And the need was someone who could come and give them a new heart. And so you have these two figures, and you're, you see Moses, and you're looking for a prophet like Moses, and you see Elijah, one longing for someone who give a new heart. And then you see 
scholar like John Selhammer points out how the, the scriptures are intentionally written to show how these two are very similar. We see the way it's written that like Moses went before Pharaoh to announce the coming plagues, Elijah went before Ahab to announce the coming drought. Like Moses parted the Red Sea, Elijah parted the Jordan River. Like Moses and Israel lived off of manna from God in the desert, Elijah lived off provisions from God from the raven. And like God chose Moses by fire at Mount Sinai, God chose Elijah by fire at Mount Carmel. And like Moses fled Egypt in fear and hid, Elijah fled Israel in fear and hid. And like an angel met Moses at the burning bush, an angel met Elijah at a tree. And like Moses hid in the cleft of a rock to watch the glory of the Lord pass by, Elijah hid in a cave and watched the Lord pass by. And like Moses was given Aaron and Joshua, Elijah was given Elisha and Jehu. Like Moses died in the presence of the Lord without a grave, Elijah was taken to the presence of the Lord without a grave. So what's the point? The point is the Bible is intentionally showing us Moses and Elijah are very similar, two prophets of God, and we're looking for someone like Moses, like Elijah. And then your Old Testament ends telling us we're still longing for the arrival of the one like Moses and Elijah. Malachi 4.4, remember the law of my servant Moses. And then in verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah. We're looking for an Elijah. We're looking for one like Moses, Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then your New Testament opens with this encounter, Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah, revealing the glory of God. So what's the point? The point is, be on alert as a reader of the Bible. This is a massively important scene that here is the Messiah. Here is the one. He is the, the one who is like Moses and like Elijah. But as we're about to see, he is the one who is the greater Moses and the greater Elijah. Look at verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Can I get a witness? This New Year's Day, we're going to do this great thing. We're going to have a quiet time. Hey, I am three for three. Anybody else three for three? Come on now. Anyone else? people. I need one more than Doran. All right, we got some more. I see those hands. I'm just going to act like they're everywhere. Hands are everywhere. There you go, buddy. But what happens? You set the alarm, and you're sleepy, and you're trying to behold the glory of God like the pastor was talking about, and then you feel like such a failure. But look how gracious the Lord is. This incredible encounter happened, not because Peter, James, and John were just killing it in their quiet time. This happened because God is gracious and merciful. And Peter, James, and John, out of just raw discipline, made themselves get up and be with Jesus. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, after three cups of coffee, they saw his glory. They saw the glory of God, and they saw these two men stood with him. God is gracious 
You just have to make the discipline and make it a priority to say, I am going to set my alarm earlier. I am going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to be in his word praying, God, open my eyes to behold the glory of God. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. And why do I say 15 minutes? Because I feel like it's too much to ask an hour to spend with God to behold his glory. And they did. They saw the glory of God in Jesus. But notice, Jesus is supreme. They're not equal. The point of this transfiguration is the supremacy of Christ. That he is above Moses. He is greater than Moses. He's finishing the work of Moses. He's like Moses, but he is no ordinary prophet. And he's no ordinary prophet like Elijah. He is greater than Elijah. The point is that Jesus is superior to Moses and Elijah. In verse 33, we keep seeing that he is supreme and that the others disappear. And as the men, the other two men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because all of y'all are good, and let's all three stay here. And Luke says, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just not knowing what he said. We don't want Moses and Elijah to stay. Jesus is supreme. When Jesus arrives, he is the culminating and climax of all the law and the prophets. He is fulfilling all that they've longed for. Can you imagine that that scene of, of them talking don't you know what they were talking about? It says they were talking about the crucifixion. And, and the idea here is the Old Testament is being fulfilled in Jesus. And, and, and don't you know that Moses was saying, oh, wow. He's like, Look, let's talk about the sacrificial system that God gave me to give to the people and how the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice the unblemished lamb as the payment, the blood sacrifice that was necessary to cover your, the sins of the people so that the people could be brought into the presence of God. God and worship a holy God, though they were sinful. What an incredible scene. Jesus, that was all pointing to you because you are the great high priest. You enter into the holy of the holies because you are perfect and you offer yourself the perfect sinless lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And you didn't just create a temple. You are the very dwelling of God in your being and he gloried in God. And Elijah said, oh, I've longed for, for a new heart. And Jesus, in your blood, you are bringing a new covenant where the heart of stone will be ripped out and be filled with the Spirit of God that will lead your people to love you and worship you and to turn from sin. Oh, Jesus, you are glorious, fulfilling our heart's desires. And they gloried as they understood how Jesus was fulfilling the Scriptures in his crucifixion. Are you doing that in your quiet time? Are you learning how to see Jesus fulfilling the scriptures and the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ? And is it captivating your heart that is saying, I will lay down my life for this king. I will make sacrifice to impact others for the kingdom. And finally we get to the main point in verse 34. As he was as Peter was saying these things, saying, "Hey, whoa, 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 
cool. Let's everybody stay here. I like this. Let's keep this thing going. A cloud came and overshadowed them. Now, he's already, as a master writer inspired by God, Luke has already brought Moses to mind and the cloud of that covered Moses as he led the Exodus is the very divine presence of God. And he mentions cloud, cloud, cloud. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the crowd, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, so God is about to speak. What does God say? He says, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. He says this to the apostles, who he says, deny yourselves, take up your cross, give your lives to make a kingdom impact. But for you to do that, you're going to have to know, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You're going to have to taste the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, supremacy of Christ. And they kept silent and they told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So three times he mentions the cloud, the divine presence of God encompasses the apostles as they were praying. Listen to this scene. This is what I want for us in our times with the Lord. As we are praying, they were overwhelmed by the presence and the glory of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, whose crucifixion and resurrection is the culminating fulfillment of the scriptures. What a quiet time. And what does God reveal? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That's the point. You're being called to impact the world around you. Your time. Oh, don't you value time. That's probably more valuable than money to most of us. Your money, your influence, your relationships. At my age, your energy. I want to challenge you to rethink your roles in life. And think, how can I make a kingdom impact? How can I deny the use of those resources for my kingdom and instead use them to build his kingdom, influencing others? Parents, think about your role. You have such an opportunity to make an impact on the children God has blessed you with. Now you may say, well, I don't have children well, then there are kids that God says need you to influence them for Christ because they don't have a godly parent doing that. Massive important. This is the massively crucial to God's plan. How is God making this earth filled with his glory? 
First and foremost, we see in the scriptures through you raising your children to glorify him with their lives. Employees, you spend so much time at work, don't we? And you say, well, what can I do at work? Is it just share the gospel, share the gospel? No, it's not just that. It may be that. But the way you work can make a kingdom impact in your workplace. That you do it with integrity. You do it with excellence. You do all things as unto the Lord. You use your gifts. You think, what, what good does it do to, how do I glorify God by making a spreadsheet? You are bringing order to the chaos of numbers, bringing order to it so that it is fruitful in business. If you're a teacher, you are bringing understanding with your gifts to a, to a child or to a student that they may see the world differently and change the course of their life. And the way you go about doing it, with love and grace, with the fruit of the Spirit, with gentleness and compassion and humility, you can influence the people around you forever. And if you own a business or you're an entrepreneur, do you realize you are shaping the culture? You have a massively important role to play in our city that the way you treat your employees, you are setting the tone in that business where they come and spend massive amounts of their time and energy in that place. And the tone that you have set should be one that glorifies God. The God who took on flesh and humbled himself. The God who wrapped himself with an apron, got on his knees, and washed the filthy feet of his disciples. The God who was humble and gracious and kind and compassionate. Your personnel policy manual should, should reflect the mercy and the grace of God. Shouldn't be a place where people hate to go to work. They should love to be there because of the way you treat them with grace and kindness. And you should view your customers and your patients and your clients not as an end to make money, but as a way to love them and to meet their needs and to bring the healing of God and to extend the grace and mercy of God and to provide employment for people so that they can make a living and provide for their children and their children's children where they teach them to honor and glorify Jesus like their mentor who is their boss. You have been called to make a kingdom impact this year. And you've got to start seeing that. That's what you're doing every day. But it will not happen if you don't get alone with Jesus in the morning and open your Bible and pray and say, God, open my eyes to behold your glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You've got to make a plan for it. It just takes discipline. Set the alarm. Get alone with Jesus and ask him to help you see the glory of God. Father God, would you make that truer of us than more than ever before in our lives this year? 
Would you help us to behold your glory, to taste and see how good you are, and to believe that you are God in flesh. Would you help us be willing to deny ourselves, deny using all of our resources to build our kingdom and instead to build your kingdom, to bless others. Lord, work in our hearts. Make 2021 be a year where we impact others with the kingdom of God like never before. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
from the text, we saw God's revelation to the question, who is Jesus? That Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is the chosen one. And we have been challenged this morning to experience the glorious presence of Jesus, right? To, to take Jesus seriously and then to make a kingdom impact. You guys may be seated. I just have a few announcements for you. If you're a guest here with us this morning, I just want to say thank you for joining us. We're so glad that you are here. If you could do me a, a favor and text NFCC guest to 97000, what that'll do is it'll send you an electronic connect card. And if you just click that link, it'll send me just your contact information. And I'll reach out to you this week and answer any questions that you might have. Uh, and also let you know what's going on here at Norris Ferry. Another way you can get connected to Norris Ferry is to text NFCC info to 97000, and that's gonna send you our weekly newsletter. And in our weekly newsletter, we have a calendar of events, we have sermon study questions, we have a daily reading plan. Uh, but just a few things from the calendar events I want to tell you about that are coming up. One is core classes started back up again today. And so at the 9 a.m. service on Sunday mornings, there's core classes that are going on. And we have three core classes that we, we believe that you would be interested in. They're really good core classes. So check them out. If you have questions, you can come and talk to me after service. Also, Truth Talk Weekend is coming up for parents and their kids. The registration deadline for Truth Talk Weekend is this week on the 7th, so do not miss that deadline. And then lastly, we also have two cohorts that are about to start. One, our Word of God cohort, and then we have a new cohort starting, uh, the Counseling Cohort. And so if you're interested in any one of those events, finding out more information, you can come talk to me at the Welcome Desk or visit NorrisFerryChurch.org click events and you'll get all the information you need right there all right so now if you would please stand i'm gonna send you guys out with this benediction the benediction this morning comes from hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 through 21 now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do Thank you.